If you would this morning, I want you to turn to or turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 1 and verses 3 through 6 and just hold your place there for quite a bit because I'm going to get back to it in a little while because I have two important things that I want to share with you. The first fairly brief, the second fairly long. The first is that I want to share with you how important I think the Perspectives course is that Janice talked about so well uh, this morning. It is a life-changing course. I completed the course in 2002 and since then, during the times it's been held here in St. John's, I've tried to attend as many individual sessions as I possibly can. And I just want you to know it has my wholehearted endorsement and I would encourage you to seriously consider taking the course. Um, you may think you really support world missions and you may and we thank God for that because God has given this, heart, this church a heart for missions but boy there is so much more to missions than you may think that you know and so I would encourage you to at least pray about the possibility of taking this course and I want to say this the course is for people of any age we have had people in the St. John's courses over the years in their 70s and 80s take the course. However, in a special way, I want to encourage those of you here who are in your teens, 20s, and 30s in a special way to really consider taking this course. Um, when you get older like I am, you say things like this, I wish I'd have known that a long time ago. I wish I'd have known that when I was 20. You ever say that? Wish I'd have known that when I was 25. Wish I'd have known that when I was 32. This is one of those things that you will wish you had known when you were younger. And for those of you who are here who are younger in a special, special way, I want to encourage you to consider the possibility of taking this course. Second, a little longer, I want to share with you, as I said last week, about our candidate for the pastor of music and technology, a new position, a fourth pastor position. If you're visiting here this morning, I want to apologize to you. We don't do this very often, but this is uh, an important matter for our church that I just wanted to share some thoughts about. So for you who are part of this congregation, whether you're a member or a regular attender here, I just want to say that next Sunday is going to be a very important Sunday and in the subsequent weeks as we pray about this and then eventually vote on December 14th uh, for this um, remind you of a couple things. First of all, in January of 2013, this church, this congregation, voted to approve this fourth pastor position. So I just want you to know that. We voted to approve this position, and we voted to put money in the budget for that fourth pastor salary. So it's been there ever since 2013. And you 
voted to do that. So this isn't just something the leadership decided to do. We brought this to the church, and the church voted for this position and the salary. In 2013, for a number of weeks, we had a bulletin insert describing why we felt this position is important. It was a two-page bulletin insert, single-spaced. We still have that. If you want a copy of it, you can contact me or Holly Marinak, one of our church secretaries, and we will get you a copy of that bulletin insert. Now, it mentions the deacons and elders at that time, so parts of it are a little outdated, but you are welcome to have that. Also, in January of this year, in January of 2016, I spent 20 minutes at our annual meeting reiterating to everyone there why we believe we need this position and why it is important, why we believe it is important for our church. I have a full manuscript. I have it all written out, a full manuscript of what I presented at our annual meeting. And if you would like that, Again, we would be glad to send it to you. In fact, I sent it or gave it to Mike Briggs so that he knew exactly what I said to the congregation. I wanted him to know exactly what I had shared with you. So none of this has been done behind the scenes. All of this has been up front with all of the congregation all along. And in January of this year, I explained why it's taken us so long to find someone. And I explained at our annual meeting why we're not considering anyone from within our church. So I explained that all. Now, just recently, the elders and deacons asked me to share a little bit from that presentation. I won't do the whole 20 minutes, but just some highlights from that to remind all of us why we are looking at this position and why we feel it's so important. If you were to ask me, and I have been on staff here, first as an associate and then as senior pastor, I've been on staff here for 26 years now. And I believe that our music ministry is the weakest area of our church. Now, please don't misunderstand. We have all kinds of talent in this church. You've seen some of it today. We have Chris Ordway. We have Trish Smith. We have... Julie and Anna um, on the piano and keyboard today. They're just a sample of the immense talent that we have in this church. We have a lot of musical talent. We have excellent vocal soloists and excellent instrumentalists. But what we really lack is someone who can bring unity and direction to our music ministry. We need someone who can theologically evaluate all of the hymns and choruses that we sing. We need someone to lay out a music strategy and philosophy. We need someone who can thoroughly evaluate our music policy. We need someone who can plan and coordinate each and every worship service so that it complements and accentuates the preaching of the Word of God. And that's what we believe is the purpose of music, to lift our souls in worship and to prepare our hearts for the preaching of the word. We need someone who can bring unity to the different music, tastes, and preferences that we have in our church. And folks, it's no secret. A lot of you have very different musical tastes and preferences from one another. You do. 
We have people in the very traditional school of thought and those in the more contemporary school of thought. And we need someone who can cut through all of that and bring them together in unity and worship. We need someone who can continue to teach us the proper use of music and instrumentation. We need someone who can evaluate the use of a choir and the use of a small orchestra. We need someone who can help develop the talents of our young musicians in the congregation. As pastors, we feel pretty strongly that we want a person who is very familiar with or open to learning about the modern hymns movement, or what is known as the modern hymns movement, a movement which we believe is one of the most important movements that has come along in Christianity in many years. Some excellent new hymns full of biblical content are being written by people such as Bob Coughlin, Stuart Townen, Keith and Kristen Getty, and Bobby and Kristen Giles, just to mention a few. Here is a typical scenario that I have heard from many people over the years. And I say this in love. I hear this especially from those who are middle-aged or younger, let's say 50 years old and younger. They will say, we love the teaching at First Baptist Church. We love the teaching from the pulpit. We love the teaching in our youth group. Excellent teaching, Bible teaching going on in our youth group. We love the teaching in our children's Sunday school classes. That is one of the big strengths of this church. And they tell me they love our emphasis on world missions, an emphasis that many churches either ignore or neglect. And then they tell me this, and we tolerate your music. If I were to describe our music ministry at First Baptist Church, I would describe it with one word, fragmented. There's no unity, there's no direction, there's no strategy, there's no real purpose. It's just kind of, we just have like lots of people with talent who use it in different ways, but nobody's really saying What's the purpose? Where are we headed? What's the strategy? And I want to emphasize, we are not looking for a new music or a new style of music. I just want to alleviate anyone's concerns. We're not going to bring in some new radically different style of music. But what we are looking for is someone who can lovingly bring together all these different tastes and preferences that we have in this church and really help us really help us to worship the living God. Someone whose highest goal is to lead us in exalting, honoring, and magnifying our magnificent Savior. That's what we really want from this position. Now, just this past week, I had an opportunity to speak with a man named Richard Seafried, sweet man. Talked with him on the phone for about a half hour he was Mike, or worked with Mike Briggs for over 15 years just recently. Richard Seafried has been, or was for 18 years, the senior pastor of First Baptist Church of Marilla, New York, where Mike comes from. Mike worked with him as the music pastor for over 15 years, and Richard just recently, about a year ago, retired. So he's retired now from the ministry and living in Harrisonburg, Virginia, from where he called me. 
and I don't think there's anyone, the reason I bring this up, I don't know that there's anyone who knows Mike better from a ministry professional standpoint than this man does. And so I'm gonna share with you, I shared all of this with our deacons and elders, but I want to share a little bit with you. I just want this to be such a wide open, transparent process. I want to share a little bit of our phone conversation with you. Richard said that Mike is extremely faithful and loyal. He said that Mike was very submissive to his leadership. In fact, he said that over his years of ministry, he has had numerous associate pastors, and Mike is the most faithful, loyal, and submissive associate pastor that he has ever worked with. He said that Mike is very musically talented. He plays numerous instruments and has a strong musical background. And he said that his wife, Amy, is an excellent vocal soloist. Next, he told me this, and I think at least some of you here will find this interesting. He said at their church, Mike organized and put together an annual Christmas production that was phenomenal. That's his word, not mine. He said it included excellent music and drama and became known throughout the surrounding communities. It started out as a one-night production in December and their auditorium was packed to the limit. They eventually had to go to two nights in December and both nights were full. Richard said it became one of the most important evangelistic outreaches that they had as a church. He said that Mike organized and led their choir for many years and put together ensembles and teams that helped lead their music on Sundays. He said that Mike is excellent with technology and for years has been the go-to person for all technology questions at their church. Now, this man I was talking to, Richard Seafried, said that First Baptist Church of Marilla is historically a very conservative church. He said that Mike brought together people with very different tastes and preferences in music. And he used those opportunities to patiently teach and guide those who disagreed with each other. He would take those from the more traditional to those who liked the more modern or contemporary and really help them to see each other's points of view and to work together. Richard said that Mike has a real pastor's heart and that he is, a, is gifted as a peacemaker. And he said probably his most pronounced gift outside of music is as a peacemaker. He said that Mike would do anything he asked him to do, including preaching, making visits to hospitals and homes, leading meetings, etc. And then he said this. He said that Mike is, and this is important for us, he said that Mike is completely sound in doctrine and theology. There are no problems there whatsoever. And he said that Mike evaluated all of their songs for biblical and theological content, and he said that he came to the point as senior pastor where he never worried about any new song that was introduced because he totally trusted Mike. I share all that with you this morning just to say to you that we need to be very prayerful, very gracious, and very welcoming next week as we greet Mike and Amy, and as, at least as of right now, their four daughters are coming with them and really pray that God will lead in our congregation and in their lives. This is a big decision for our church, but I want you to know this is a big decision for them. A big decision for them as a family, so we appreciate your prayers. Well, with that in mind, 
I know we're kind of shifting gears here, but let's go to Philippians chapter 1. And we're going to focus on verse 6, but I want to read verses 3 through 6. We are focusing this Thanksgiving season on the attributes of God. And tonight, we're having our Thanksgiving praise service, and we have a number of people who are going to be giving testimonies related to the different attributes of God. I will be sharing a devotion there. We have the ensemble leading us tonight. We're looking for a, a wonderful night of praise and celebration together. This morning, I want you to think about the persevering love of God. I want you to think of how many times in your life you have been unfaithful to him. How many times you have disappointed him. How many times maybe you have even wandered from him. That you struggle deeply with your sins. And yet he has always been there for you. He is always determined to continue to accomplish his work in your life, often in spite of me, in spite of you. And so Paul writes to the church at Philippi and says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. I thank God for you, he says. You're my brothers and sisters in Christ. I pray for you all the time. You have been with me through all of this. And the church at Philippi had, from the earliest days of the early church, they had been with Paul in heart, in prayer, in giving. They were partners in the gospel. And he says, I want you to know this, my brothers and sisters in Christ. I want you to know this fact. I'm sure of it. I am absolutely sure of it, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Our first point this morning is an important verse. Philippians 1.6 has been a source of encouragement for many of God's people throughout church history. It has been a source of comfort. It has been a source of strength in hard times, in those trials of life. And I want every single person here to know this morning that the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is at work in your life. The God of history, the God who created and sustains every atom, every molecule of the universe, the great God of heaven and earth, the transcendent God who rules over all things, which we looked at last week, he is at work in your life. Puny, little, insignificant me and you. And we live among billions of people on the face of the earth, and it is beyond comprehension that you, in whatever town you live in, whether it's St. John's or Elsie or Ovid or DeWitt, or whatever town you may live in, he knows about you and he is at work in your life. And I want you to know his son is alive and active in you. 
the risen Christ. If you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, the resurrected and living Christ abides within you and is at work within you. And he will not stop. He will not stop molding, shaping, and recreating you until the day he returns and the process is complete. He will not stop. I think of the great temple in Jerusalem where Jesus ministered around which he did his ministry during his days on earth. The temple in Jerusalem was magnificent. Its pillars, its ornate decorations, it was a place of incredible worship. But whether it was the temple in Jerusalem or some of the great cathedrals in Europe, and maybe some of you here this morning have visited some of them, they often took centuries to build. They would lay the foundation, but for the process to be complete, they did it little by little over a long period of time, and so it is with us. The foundation has been laid on the day that you received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You were saved. You were born again, and the process began. But he not only saved you, he continues to work in you. And it's a slow, refining process that is going on all the time. And sometimes it happens in the good times, and sometimes it happens in the difficult times. I think of that old quote from C.S. Lewis, a hard quote, C.S. Lewis once said this, there are some things that God can only teach you in suffering. There are some lessons that can only be learned in this life through our times of suffering. But through it all, he is molding you, sculpting you, and recreating you into the image of his son. As you sit here today, as we are gathered on this day, I want you to think and ask yourself the question, am I growing spiritually? Am I growing spiritually? Some of you may have had this happen in your life. You meet someone that you went to high school with or who was in high school at the same time you were, and now it's 20 years later, and he's still as immature as he was in high school. He hasn't changed a bit, and you're thinking, oh my. And what do you say? He hasn't grown up. He's still living back in the old high school days, hasn't grown a bit. We've got to be careful. That can happen to us spiritually. We just kind of coast along. and We're really not growing. The late philosopher and theologian Francis Schaeffer used to say, you should be able to look back at the last 10 years of your life, wherever you are, whatever your age is, be able to look back at the last 10 years of your spiritual life and say there has been significant growth. And that was his favorite word there, significant. Can you say that this morning? That as you look back over the last 10 years of your life, there has been significant spiritual growth. If not, why not? And I'm not here to heap guilt on you. I am here to encourage you to cooperate with, to surrender to the powerful work of God in your life. There aren't many things you can be confident of in this life. 
There simply aren't. We talk about the economy, whether it's the American economy or especially economies throughout the world. We think of countries like Greece and Spain that just in the last few years have been teetering on bankruptcy. We think of governments. We're going through a transition of government right now, a peaceful transition, but nonetheless a change, and we're thankful for peaceful transition. And if you know anything about world politics, world history, you know many nations have not experienced at all peaceful transitions of government. But that's not just true of the world, it's true in our own lives. Do you know as we end 2016 and head into 2017, there's no guarantees about your health. Some of you right now are going through health concerns that you never anticipated a year or two ago. We don't know what's going to happen in the next year. Our health, in many ways, is completely unpredictable. But in many ways, so is our friendships. You know, we have friends, and sometimes our friends move away. And sometimes we just drift apart from our friends, and we really can't put a finger on it, can't really explain why. We just kind of, over the course of time, we just drift away from each other. So we never really know. But there is something you can be confident of in this life. There is something you can be rock solid sure about in this life right now and in the years to come. The Apostle Paul said, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. And we praise him for that. He's at work and he is powerfully at work in your life right now. Our second point this morning is God is determined to change you. If you walk away with nothing else this morning, I want you to walk away with that God is determined to change you. If you are born again, you can be confident that the God who saved you is determined to refine and sculpt you into the image of Christ. That's his work in you right now. Once God takes a hold of your life, he will not let you go. Once you are his, no one can take you from him. Philippians chapter 1 verse 6 is a powerful verse in what we Baptists term as eternal security or the thought that you are once, saved, once you are saved, you are always saved. Once saved, always saved. This is a powerful verse on eternal security. Once God takes a hold of your life, he's not going to let you go. And I thank God for that. And once you are his, no one no one can take you from him. I want you to think of this in a, in a, from a mission standpoint. We go back to the perspectives course and just think about the great work of missions going on all over the world. So much going on that we don't even realize. But think of this with me. Think of this. Every believer in every people group in every part of the world, is undergoing a major remodeling project designed and carried out by the Holy Spirit. Every believer everywhere, those believers in China, those believers in Thailand, those believers in Brazil, those believers in the many, many, many people groups 
on the continent of Africa. Man, they're all undergoing this major remodeling project designed and carried out by the Holy Spirit. As you listen to the Word of God, as you are taught the Word of God, as you study the Word of God, as you memorize the Word of God, as you meditate on the Word of God, as you have fellowship with other believers through the good times and through the hard times, through suffering and through pain, on the mountaintops of life and in the valleys of life, God is determined to complete the work he began in you. He is determined to complete that work. Aren't you glad you're not the person you used to be? Aren't you thankful for that this morning, that you're not the person you used to be? I know just from knowing and talking with some of you here, some of you here have gone through some pretty radical transformation spiritually in your lives. In fact, if you met someone you hadn't seen for 20 or 25 years, they may not even recognize you. Oh, outwardly they may know who you are, but inwardly they'd say, who in the world is this? Praise God for that. You're different. You're different because of the work of Christ. And let me say this, and I know I've asked this question of you many times in the past, but aren't you glad? Aren't you glad you're not the person that you would have been if you had never met Christ as Savior? Where would you be right now? Where would you be on the 20th day of November 2016 if you had never known Christ as your Savior? It's possible. I don't mean this to sound overly dramatic. Some of you may not even be alive. With the path you were heading down, the things you were indulging in, Man, thank God for his salvation and his constant work in our lives. Like I said, many of you have seen a radical transformation in your life. A radical transformation that no human being, no program, and no therapy could possibly have made the changes in your life that Christ has. Okay? All kinds of self-help books on the shelves out there, and I'm not saying... They can't do any good, but they can't really, truly transform and change you. Only Jesus can do that. You have changed in the way you think. You have changed in the way you view the world. Changed in the way you talk. Changed in your marriage. Changes in your lifestyle. Changes in your habits. You are somebody completely different than you would have been because you came to know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. We ought to be thankful and filled with joy for the changes that God has brought about in our lives. We think of all the things we should be thankful for at Thanksgiving, and they are many. The food on the table, the roof over our head, our parents, our children, our extended family, our job, all of those things are important, but this Thanksgiving I would encourage you to be thankful for your changed life. Thank God that he has changed me and thank God that he has changed you. And I want to encourage you this morning as we finish. God has no unfinished works. God has no unfinished works and the God who begins is the God who completes. The God who begins is the God who completes. We're going to close with the song, What a Savior, Man of Sorrows. And it's about Christ's death on the cross. And I just want you to sing this 
with a fullness of joy, with a fullness of celebration that he has saved you and he keeps you and he is right now, whether you realize it or not or recognize it or not, he is powerfully at work in your life at this very moment. Let's pray together. Father, change us. Transform us into the image of Jesus. Help us every day to become more like him in the deepest parts of our being, in our motives, in our attitudes, in our thought life. Oh, Lord, thank you. Thank you that even when we are unfaithful, even when we don't think about you, you are so faithful to us that you persevere in your love for us and you are determined to change us. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.